everybody. Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. We are really excited today to be here to share another author interview with you. We love talking to the authors and I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Bree's here. Hi everybody. And today we have a author who has been on our show twice before, but we've never actually interviewed her. So it's kind of fun. We're talking with Stacey Adjourn and Stacey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's such a pleasure to be here today. Um, I really enjoy coming on the podcast, talking about movies, and now I'm excited to talk about books. So, Yeah, we've had you on the last two years covering the various Hanukkah movies, and that's always been really fun. It's definitely been enjoyed, so. Yeah. Well, since this is your first time doing an interview, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our, uh, to our audience? Okay. So hi everybody. Um, my name is Stacey Agdron. I'm from a small town outside of New York City. I am an author. I'm a hockey fan. I'm a music fan. And of course, I'm a fan of Hallmark movies. I'm a romance reader for many years, a former bookseller, former romance reviewer. So the genre has been a substantial part of my life for a while. And I'm kind of very yeah. proud to be a part of it. So yeah. That's great. So did you, you always wanted to be a writer growing up? Yes. There's never really been a time where I haven't written stories. It's always what I wanted to do with them. That was the question. You know, I thought it was going to be a thing that I did on the side as opposed and sort of like kept to myself. I never actually thought of that. I was actually going to pursue publication except, except, you know, life changes, Mm -hmm. things happen. And you end up deciding that the thing that you were doing for yourself is the thing that you really want to do for the rest of your life. So, yeah. What, what books did you grow up reading? Did you have any favorites? So I was, I actually came to the romance genre late. I was a science fiction thriller reader. Um, Tom Clancy's oh, yeah. Without Remorse. I read anything from like, Little House on the Prairie to the All of a Kind Family, which was a thing that I loved desperately, to um, Isaac Asimov books, to Sweet Valley High, to I, I can't even like like the 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 breadth and depth of what I read was kind of um, basically what I could get my hands on, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually come to the romance genre until I was in college, actually. How did you get introduced to it in college? So my mom has always been a huge romance reader. Like she's always had her books. Like reading has always been an important thing in my family. And so she was always reading her romance novels as we were reading everything else. And for me, I had this idea that romance novels were solely historical. They weren't something that I was going to be interested in because again, as I said, science fiction, thrillers, and Sweet Valley High. Like none of those, you know, like to me, they weren't romance novels. And then my mom had this, has this habit of of putting books on the corner for nightstand in in my parents' bedroom. And between my first and second years of university, um, she started to be very particular with the titles that she put on on that corner of that nightstand. And one day she put a book by Joanna Lindsay on that nightstand. And it was the story of an archaeology professor 
a cursed sword and the Viking attached to it. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> all of these things, exactly. Like all of these things that I didn't think could exist in a romance novel were in this one. Yeah. And it was called Until Forever. And I was obsessed again. You know, all of these things that I didn't think romance novels could be were there. And I was like, yes, please give me this. Give me more of these. So of course, like the next book that my mother put on that side table was, I think it was an old category of Nora Roberts called um, Waiting for Nick, which (laughs) was very close to a situation that I was involved in in real life at the time. And so I devoured that one. And then there was a Borders not very far from where my mother was working at the time. And they had one of their three for one sales. And so of course my mom went in and bought her books. And then very suspiciously, she she reaches into the bag and she's like, listen, she's like, I don't know. I thought I was going to like this, but I really don't. Maybe you, maybe you might like it. And of course we know where this is headed, right? Like we, we clearly know that this particular title was never a book my mother was going to read ever because what was the title? The star princess by Susan Grant. My mother does not read science fiction. She bought it with you in mind. Oh, she absolutely (laughs) did. It was like, I've got her. And now I'm going to turn her into a romance reader for life. I love that so much. Very skillfully. She was very skillfully putting those uh, those books on the uh, on the uh, um, on her dresser set. I love the Nora Roberts. I bought a. I found by surprise like a series of five of her old categories Mm -hmm. for. silhouette like intimate yep. moments and desire uh-huh. um the Calhoun sisters or something it's called I was oh like my oh god. my gosh yes, how did yes. I find these in like oh. all of them somebody like donated them to have Christ books and I had to get them <laughs> oh, that, oh classic classic like yeah the Calhoun sisters, with the matchmaking grandpas um, right no that yes. was my record oh my god <laughs> but like those family stories of hers those early family books like are such such like um cornerstones of the genre because she's so good at writing families generally speaking and you can see where that came from like anywhere from like um you know oh god like brain is not working today but like born the born in trilogy which i adore to pieces um you know always they come like it's a little bit of magic a little bit of family but they always come from that same place like I have been obsessively reading um, that I actually rebought over the summer, um, the cord- the two of the books in the Cordina series, um, but most specifically a book called Command Performance um, about the Crown Prince of Cordina and the head of the theater of, of a theater company that kind of has his heart and it's it's just it's such an amazing story the tension and like the oh but yeah like that's that's where it comes from it comes from that sort of like um motive of family and sort of ah oh, family hardenings and she's just really good at it 
what was Bree? What was your first uh, author that you got super into as far as category romance? Oh my goodness! Um, the first that I read was I didn't realize it at the time that it was category, but Debbie Maycomber actually used to write category. Mm-hmm. And they've been like republishing a lot of her books um, Mm -hmm. with new titles. So you don't necessarily know it's an old book. So she was my like gateway into romance. And I came into it late too. I didn't start reading it until I was about to turn 30. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. pretty late, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, what's kind of fun about it is so many authors that I love now. Like I love Jill Shalvis and she she used to write category. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot. I love that so much. I think my first author that I really read a lot of would be um, Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. She's really good. She's very good. Very dishy. She's a good job. She's no, known I, for like romantic comedies, right? Like her, rom- yeah. her rom-coms are, mm-hmm. when I hear her name, that's what I usually hear. Like you have to yeah. read her rom-coms. <laughs> Which is probably why I, I was drawn to it because I've always loved rom-coms. But, you know, I love Sophie Kinsella, but she's mm-hmm. definitely more of like chick lit than, uh, than I would say romance novelist. But, um, uh, but yeah, the, what do you think appeals to you, Stacey, about romance novels? So one of the, so as I, you know, as you can kind of tell my path to them was, was different than most. And because like, I like the things that I love about other kinds of stories, the world building of science fiction, like the fast pace of a thriller, like you can find them all in a romance novel. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's one of the most fungible genres there is because the fundamental requirement is such an easy thing to place anywhere. You can do anything with it as long as you have that central couple that ends up together. And it's like, I don't, you know, like you can, you can put it like literally anywhere. And like, as a reader who likes all of these things to have that beautiful crossover of like a sci-fi romance, a romantic thriller, you know, a time travel, like all of these little elements that I like about other things you can find in it yeah exactly yeah I was watching a live show it's like true. a year ago and um Beverly Jenkins a historical romance author was oh, on it and yeah and she I was like her. that's she's like that's why I love romance authors she's like we write everything mm-hmm. <laughs> I was yep. like yes you do you will literally um, find anything in the genre aliens time travel yep. historical whatever time period it's exactly. there <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's part of most people's lives. Most people have uh, some kind of cheesy romance story in your life. Like, <laughs> happens. So I think that it's in a weird way, actually, one of the more like relatable because like love is hopefully part of all of our lives at one more moment or another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was your path to getting, okay, so you start reading romance in college and you had always you know loved stories and been writing how did we go from that to now being published like what what did that journey look like for you 
definitely not the way I thought it would. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so in grad school, I did a lot of writing, tons of it. Um, and when I was studying for my grad school exams, I went to law school. So like studying for those exams, like the easiest thing for me to do was open up like a doc, a separate document, you know, make my outlines, make my, you know, exam things, and then sort of open that separate document and dive into a world. And one of the things that happened was that I discovered that I could complete a book, but I couldn't pass the bar exam. And so I had a decision to make, like, what was I going to do with myself, knowing that this, you know, that this obstacle of an exam, that I was better at, you know, creating fictional stories, writing romance novels, than, you know, taking this test again. So I started, so I had to be practical about things. I ended up working in a bookstore. I was like the romance gal in the independent bookstore, the, you know, I, which turned into the romance buyer in an independent bookstore very quickly. Shortly thereafter, um, I joined, at the time I joined a writer's organization, met a whole bunch of people. It was wonderful and great, but still nothing was happening. And I, at the time I was writing and I still love to write paranormal. I still, you know, I love the world building of that subgenre a lot. And I ended up meeting some very, very close friends who were also hockey fans. And who were also romance writers. So there is Sandekar from Buffalo and Isabel Kelly from Queens. And the three of us published, self-published in, I want to say 20, 2010, um, a, an anthology of hockey romances. And that was the first fiction that I'd actually had published, which was kind of amazing and wonderful. And so one of the things I learned from that was how much I really loved anthologies. I loved working and I loved collaborating with other people. So like, you know, the, um, I was offered an opportunity to do an anthology, um, with HarperCollins Avon in 2015, um, which was the first traditionally published anthology of Hanukkah stories. Um, and, by about 2017, I had, I had been involved in two hockey anthologies, the Hanukkah anthology, historical romance anthology, and four like really angsty, really heavy political anthologies. Mm. And friends of mine were like, what are you doing? you really have to do something of your own. You, it, it, it's time, like no more anthologies, no more collaborating, you have to stop. Right, I'm like, where's the paranormal? <laughs> I love paranormal. <laughs> they're, they're, they're under the bed, they're waiting. Okay. <laughs> Anthology, I needed, I needed a brain break, it was 2017. My brain was just like full of angst and mess. And I started watching, that was when I started heavily watching Hallmark movies. Um, the joy, the happiness of Hallmark movies. And I was like, what if? Yeah. What if this was a Hanukkah story? What if, um, what if the characters were Jewish? What if, what if, what if? And all of my what ifs turned into a book. A book I queer, like, and again, I'd done this before with different other stories. You know, I 
query, you know, I edited and then queried out the whole, all of it. I, ex I wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't sure what was going to happen because again, the business is fungible. The business is, is, is wild. And, and, and what happens basically when you throw spaghetti up against the wall. And yeah, I tried, you know, um, querying a Hanukkah story before, but you know, it never, it wasn't what, you know, it, nothing happened with it. When I got the offer from Thule and then my agent followed, it was kind of like, it was, it was a bit of a long, wild, crazy, amazing journey that sort of basically in my life, nothing ever happens how I expect it to. And that is basically the long and winding road of how I am a published author. So, so would, you, would you say that you're a pantser or a plotter when you write? I am somewhere in the middle, closer to being a pantser than I am a plotter. Um, friends always joke that like my playlist is my outline. And I think that's very much the case because before I start writing, I think a lot about character. I think a lot about story. I put that playlist together based on a lot of thoughts and feelings that I have that I want the story to, to sort of invoke, um, evoke is the word I was looking for. Mm -hmm. um, but I always have to know how we start and where I'm going. Um, so, but I'm not someone who outlines. If I spend too much time actually, like literally outlining a book, it never gets written. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, I think I'm the kind of person who loves the thrill of discovery, but also I need some direction because I have no sense of direction as a general rule, so. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of, I am, which is a long and winding road of saying that I am what, what they call a planter these days. Oh yeah. A little bit of both. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think, I think you should do a, like a take on like a legally blonde kind of story that kind of to put your, uh, so you feel like you, you put your law school education to use, <laughs> make it into a romance novel. I think that would be fun. And make it paranormal with a paranormal twist. Yes. <laughs> so it's a funny story. Like the, the big sort of paranormal piece that's sitting under my bed waiting for me to, to be a better writer is um, the story of a paranormal United Nations, because that was the part of law that I was most fascinated about. Oh, law that sounds diplomacy. so cool. That was my like, <laughs> that was my obsession. Um, I was the like, the fan of like, international cooperation I was the one who did um model United Nations in college like it was you know that was that was my obsession international law international politics and I was like deep and that was that was how I started really those that, that was the first series that I ever attempted was so. that would be fun I'm trying to think of what would be a good law school romance novel I'm thinking what if you had the the guy who, who falls for the uh, the girl who delivers his Postmates while he's studying for the bar? That could be good. <laughs> One of the things that that especially my first year of law school. So my last name is Andern. Um, and one of the things about law school that I loved to pieces was that. So even though you sat like in your first year, you sit alphabetically and yes, you know, I was stuck at the front of the class my first semester, mm -hmm. 
what the second semester gave me an experience in my life that I had never had before. I got to sit in the back oh, nice. in an alphabetically assigned situation. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. it, was, it was like the best feeling ever. <laughs> and I feel like if I'm ever gonna write something about law school, it's that sort of switched flop expectation of someone who's used to sitting in the back, who's forced to sit, sit in the front and someone who's, you know what I mean? Like who's, who's mm -hmm. when you stay alphabetical order, like A to Z kind of thing, that, that fascinates me. Mm -hmm. Like what sort of the idea of like butting heads is you sort of change your expectations, both mm -hmm. about law and life, basically through the course of the story. Yeah, not the Socratic method, the romantic method. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so the characters have been Jewish mm -hmm. in the books. Yes. And, uh, and then also that you have a hockey reference. Mm -hmm. And have you always loved hockey? One of the other things that I really picked up my first year at university. So I went to a university in Canada. Um, my family has always been hockey fans. Um, I think about my grandfather who like tells stories about like, who told, I should say stories um, about um, the early days of Madison Square Garden in New York and the sort of early days of the team of the, the Rangers. The Rangers is my favorite hockey team, I should mention. My first year of university, I was in Montreal and there were a couple of things that I picked up that I grabbed onto heavily because they reminded me of home. A lot of them, most of them were media um one was the nanny one was Seinfeld <laughs> one was the fact that both Beverly Hills 90210 and um Saved by the Bell graduated the same year that I did and the other nice. and the last of them was hockey I could watch hockey in Canada with a bunch of gals you know like Monday night you know whatever night hockey night Canada was we could watch the television and I could in my head remember that my family was probably watching at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it started, like making mm -hmm. friends in this, but, you know, sort of with ties to the things that I did back home. And that was the year that the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> like my first big year as a hockey fan was the year that the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. There is no turning back from that ever. So, or at least there was not for me, at least. Nice. So it's, you know, hockey and music are huge parts of me and they somehow managed to, to, to show themselves in what I write. Uh, that's an, are you, are you planning on now that things are reopening? Are you planning on going to any hockey games? Um, so maybe next year we will see how I feel um my favorite hockey mm -hmm. team is out of is no longer in the playoffs and the other one is the season is over anyways so we will see like when the season starts in September I definitely um I might be watching the world I might be watching the playoffs typically my team is not in I have I'm not going to go to a playoff game this year really, you know when the regular season starts next year I will probably I will reevaluate and see how I feel about being in public again and then, you know, and then sort of make my choice. Do you have an ideal poutine? So, um, perfect. 
native New Yorker living in Montreal for four years obsesses over poutine like there's no tomorrow there's no poutine here um the closest I've gotten to poutine here um there was a place in Brooklyn um it's gonna drive me crazy that was owned by um Myland Myland Deli um in the before um that was owned by an alum from the university that I went to and um smoked meat poutine was that they had there it was just perfect and amazing and wonderful but like um it's one of it's one of my favorite things like I have so many memories of like late nights and university when I was at university and like um spending time with friends just like randomly eating poutine so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah like what was that experience like of going to college in Canada I mean one of my girl, my best girlfriends lives in Toronto. And I've told her, like, I feel so ignorant because like, I know nothing about Canada and it's literally like on top of the States. But like, when you hear people going to college out of the country, they're usually like going to Europe or somewhere like that. And like, it's right there. <laughs> like, What was that? How did you, and did you, had you always had your eye on Canada? Did you do research and find the school and it was like the best fit? Like, how did you end up there? So my guidance counselor, um, my first year in high school, looked at, looked at my records, looked at all of the things and was like here and gave me this big, huge brochure. And when I was, and of course, like when you, back in the day, like I don't even know like how they do it now in a lot of ways, but like when I was going, the the brochure for colleges like the course catalogs and stuff were these huge like telephone book size like dictionary size like seven encyclopedias (laughs) stacked one on top of the other sized books that were tenuously tied together and like when someone puts one of those in front of you for the very first time that might possibly have things you might possibly be interested in. My eyes kind of like turned like huge wide wild because it was such an exciting prospect. And in the back of my head, that was what I wanted. That was where I wanted to go. I wanted to go elsewhere. I wanted to like, you know, I grew up in a, you know, I, you know, even though, you know, I grew up, you know, um, half hour, 45 minutes away from New York city, it's still a small town. It's still, you know, your high school graduating class is probably made of like most of the kids you went to kindergarten with, you know, what you did in kindergarten follows you all the way through. Follows you all the way through. Yeah. And like, exactly. Like it's that sort of, it's both the good and the bad of like small town experiences. And I literally was like, I want to go, I want to go elsewhere. And the idea of placing a border between me and the rest of the rest of the town at the time sounded like sounded like the greatest idea. And at the time, the fascinating idea of studying modern languages was like, yes, please, let's do this. So thankfully it worked out that my grades and everything were good enough for me to go when I went. So, but I think partially it was like. Yeah, it was my vision of I am going abroad to study something that I liked the idea of. And I just wanted something fundamentally different, 
even though it wasn't, if that makes sense mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. No, it makes sense to me. Definitely. When I was college age, I was so ready to get out of, out of the, out of my parents' house. And I, I, they, I'd only lived for one year uh, where they were uh, currently, where they were living at the time. And so I was just, I didn't have any attachments to the town or the place. And my parents had just had a baby and well, my mom was pregnant when I left for college and uh so and then my um she had the baby in August so just before I started my full freshman year uh I was just like I want to get out of this baby world (laughs) 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 so was it a cult that was it like culturally anything that you had to get used to or I mean did it feel like oh I'm literally just a couple of hours away from home so the funny thing was that, so I went to, I, I went to graduate school back in the US. I went to law school back in Albany. And between, and the culture shock between Montreal and like Westchester County was nothing well. compared to the culture shock between Montreal and Albany. <laughs> If I had gone to a school in the States or, a, or in a smaller place or something like that, or even like a school not very far from my hometown, like sure, I would have been fine going directly to Albany. But because I lived in a big city for four years, there was culture, there was food, there were, you know, there was a transit system. There was all of these things that I fell in love with and got used to. And I got used to the feeling of the city and how you dress doing certain things and how you felt doing certain things. That when I came back to the States for, for a law school, it was, it was just strange. Yeah. You know, it was like I had gotten used to just living in this amazingly cosmopolitan city. And then I came back and went, oh, okay. You know, anything from (laughs) trying to think of like like anything from not being able to get sushi in walking distance or like things being open for how long, or like the reaction of my classmates to the idea of going out for a drink. Like anything and all of those things simultaneously were for me just surprising. Because I feel like in a lot of the media we get, whether it's actual romance novels or movies, there's always this con, this like, big city versus small town and that really bugged me I love small Mm -hmm. town romances I do however I'm like I live in a big city and it's it feels at times like I live in a small town because I stick to really my side of the city and it's not you know it's not terrible (laughs) like like, from like it's 
you know, I didn't necessarily deal with this so much in history, but I did in miracles. One of the things that drove me banana pants um, before I wrote miracles was this, was this fundamental divide. Mm-hmm. Drove me absolutely bonkers because here I've taught, you know, I've been talking about like the tiny, small insular bubble nature of my hometown that is 45 minutes from New York City where people go back and forth all the time. Where like, you don't have to choose between them. Yeah. Well, that's why I always said in Chesapeake, when we're talking about Chesapeake Shores, they act like someone moving like to Pennsylvania is like the end of the world and nobody can have a relationship with somebody that's in Maryland if they live in Pennsylvania. And I'm just like, that's not the way the East Coast works. Exactly. <laughs> like there's there's trouble, there's all that other stuff. And like this idea of like sort of separation between the two, it's like, no, yeah. you know, there are, what's the word am I looking for? Like there are ways to have both which as I said, I, I dealt, I dealt more in miracles, um, mm-hmm. with this idea that like, there really is no zero sum game between the two. Um, you can have both if you know what, if you know what you're doing, basically, you don't have to decide. So you what, know? Was that, what was that like writing and miracles and menorahs? I mean, this must be kind of a dream project for you. Oh my God. It was, it really, really was. Um, it's funny because like miracles and history are so completely different in terms of like the parts of me they tie into. Miracles is the Hanukkah all the time girl, the, you know, the girl who grew up like in between, you know, between like the suburbs and New York city between like all of these things and tied them all together. And like, it's very much a particular part of my personality. Mm -hmm. Whereas history comes from the other part, another part of me, it comes from the romantic. It comes from the girl who's like, I love the idea of the impossible relationship. And I want to see more of this particular, like a particular type of era of history shown and conversation. And I want to like, I want to write a guy who is that kind of character. Does that like, it's, it's, it's those different sort of aspects. And also like, I kind of wanted to write a story about coming back and how that feels like, although that's more love and latkes than history, but I think there's some element to it sort of like, you know, what happens when you're away. Yeah, it was really fun. I enjoyed reading it. And uh, it was nice to have sort of that enthusiasm that that we see for Christmas and Christmas books and Christmas movies mm-hmm. uh, with this Hanukkah theme. It was fun. That was, I'm so glad you thought, like, I'm really, really mm-hmm. glad you loved it. Like I, but that was like, that was my intention. Like I wanted to sort of fill it because Hanukkah is one of those holidays that's definitely a holiday of identity, um, that it's, you celebrate it, you know, because in a lot of ways in the United States, who you are is what you celebrate in a lot of ways. And that, Mm -hmm. and that's where that comes in for me. Um, Hanukkah is my holiday of identity. I own like 
I don't remember if I if I brought the hat on, but I do have a large, a rather large Hanukkah hat. <laughs> you know, it's a menorah hat, I should yeah. say. Um, because it's That's like interesting that you say that that you are what you celebrate. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought of that. That but makes it, sense, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. And maybe that's part of the thing that's been hard about this last year is that we haven't been able to really celebrate like we normally, you know, it's just like such a way of showing love for people is uh, whether it's gifts or, or just attendance at events and things like that. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. Can I just say that you have both history of us and miracles and menorahs are like perfect covers do you have any input of like what your covers are looking like are you like kind of describing the book to somebody and then some cover artist brings it to life like or do you have no idea what it's going to look like until it's done (laughs) so I have no idea what it's going to look like you can you know I fill I fill out my fact sheets and I hope I pray I was I have the, the 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 art department at Thule is just brilliant like the first one came out of my brain. The second, like literally like took a scene out of my brain from the book and like stuck it on the cover. And I'm like, and I literally said, you know, the artist that did that, I want them to do the history cover. And it was funny because I gave them a scene for the history cover. And they gave me not that scene, but another scene in the book. And I was like, this is fantastic. (laughs) I was like, I am so, I'm like, yes, this works. This is, this is perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, you can, you can, you can fill out fact sheets. You can give scenes, you can say, you know, this character looks a little bit like this person, you know, this character looks a little bit like that person, but you never know what's going to happen until you get the cover in your inbox. And I'm just very, very insanely, ridiculously lucky. So. Well, let's talk about History of Us. That's the new book coming out in June. So congratulations. Thank you. you. And why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what the book is History of Us is a companion book to Miracles and Menorahs. It's the second book in my Friendships and Festival series. Um, It's the story of Anna, Sarah, who is the heroine of Miracles and Menorahs, her best friend, who wants to finally curate an exhibit of her own at the museum she works for in New York. She gets the golden opportunity to do so. However, her boss will only let her do this if she collects some important archives, or like important elements of archival history from a rather in- influential family for an exhibit that her boss is putting together. The problem is the influential family is the family of the guy she just can't quit. So the meddling matriarch of the family decides to hire Anna to curate an exhibit that will go into the wing of the house that they're going to open as kind of a museum, which means Anna will be in Rockcliffe Manor for the summer at the town's summer festival called Summer Days for the first time in quite a while. And around Jacob, who is the guy in question. 
And since the last time they saw each other, which was six months before, did not go well. <laughs> A lot, this is the very last thing she wants. But of course, he can't quit her either. So this is where we start. Yeah. It was, it was really fun. I particularly, I liked Anna and Jacob and their dynamic. How did you come up with their characters? So I have always been a fan of what I like to call the impossible relationship. I've read it in a bunch of different books. Evelyn Vaughn's um, series for Bombshell, AKA Goddess and Her Kind of Trouble. Laura Florence's The Chocolate Touch. Kelly Armstrong's A Stitch in Time. Tracy Livesey actually has it in her fir- in the first book of her Girl Strip series. Oh my gosh, that one's so good. What is it Isn't called? It? I'm oh my on god! It. <laughs> like it's you know she's sent into town to shut down the plant that is his, yeah. that is that the town's lifeblood and They're like their livelihood. They were yep. not happy about her being there. And it's like the mayor or something. That yeah, he's the mayor. He's like so good. exactly, and that's what he wants to be. He doesn't want to be some like ridiculous like candidate for higher office in the state. Forget that nonsense. He just wants to be a mayor. He wants to, you know carve his his wood carvings on the side he wants to be happy and he wants her we'd like to take a second from this episode of the podcast to celebrate our sponsor of this episode and that is the hallmarkies patreon do you love hallmarkies podcast do you want an inside scoop into what happens on the podcast do you want early access to episodes and loads of cool perks now is the time to become a patron of hallmarkies podcast by becoming a patron you get to access our patron Facebook group. You can request episodes or even be a guest on the podcast. And most importantly, any patron can join our monthly movie watch-alongs with stars like Paul Campbell, Natalie Hall, and more. It's as low as $2 a month to join in and become a special part of the Hallmarkies family. Please consider, and we will love you forever. Go to patreon.com slash Hallmarkies. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. You know, you think about the elements there. You think about duty. You think about family. You think about power. You think about all of these elements that the world is like shoving on top of them to keep them apart. And yet there they are. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the dynamic I was chasing with Anna and Jacob. The sort of like childhood friends to lovers to second chance to third chance to can we please get ourselves together for freaking Haiti's sake like (laughs) can we just get a chance (laughs) exactly can we figure this out please and you know the sort of and that's 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 the dynamic I'm chasing and so that was one element of it the second one was the story of Ohika Castle. Ohika Castle is on Long Island. Um, I had been searching for evidence of Jewish history that sort of reminded me of the, let me step back a second. So when I was 16, I read Stephen Birmingham's book, Our Crowd. It was a book that I'd read as part of my like sort of like 
religious, like higher religious school education, put it that way. But it blew my mind, blew my mind because for all of what I had learned about Jewish history, I learned about my specific, you know, path of ancestry. I learned about the shuttles. I learned about the Holocaust. I learned about like, you know, the sort of like the, the, the situation where like most Jewish media, most media places Jewish history and Jewish culture. And reading Stephen Birmingham's book sort of, as I said, blew my mind completely because our crowd is the story of the 500, I want to say it's the 500 or the 100. Anyway, like it's, it's, I don't really remember. I know the Gilded Age, Mrs. Astor had a list of like either 100 or 500, like acceptable, quote unquote, socially acceptable people that like came to her parties and stuff. And so like in a parallel world to that lived this group of Jewish families, mostly sometimes, some were Sephardic, some were from, you know, some were German Jews and, and our crowd was about the German Jews. And I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, what? It's like, these are Jews? Wait, you're, you're kidding me. Glamorous? What? <laughs> and that sort of image stayed with me. And I was like, this is, this is, this is fantastic. This is wonderful, but no one talks about it. And I remember you know, years, like comparatively recently, like I love Joanna Shoup's historicals about the Gilded Age. And I found um, Felicia Grossman's stories about the Gilded Ages in the United States as well. Um, appetite, oh God, appetite sacrifices. And um, anyway, they're, they're really good. They're from Karina. Um, that exactly kind of around the same time that Joanna Shoup's books are. So they're very sort of interesting and parallel in their own ways. And when, I was talking with a very close friend of mine from Long Island. We ended up talking about Ohika Castle, which is how we end up at Ohika Castle. Ohika Castle is um, on Long Island in Huntington. It's a very, it's, it's a rather large house on a hill. And it was built by a guy by the name of Otto Kahn, who came to the United States from Germany. And in like the early 1900s, his house in New Jersey was burned to the ground because he was Jewish. Mm. And he decided that what he was going to do, because he was not, not, a, not a poor kind of guy, is that he was going to build a ridiculously large and fireproof house on Long Island. He built a castle. There are bits of the stories that talk about property regulations where, and I, I could, again, like I can't, I couldn't find like when I was looking for the specifics of it, but there were times when I heard that part of, of how he um, purchased the land was he purchased it in small bits because there were potentially regulations that kept Jews from purchasing um, larger quantities of property. Um, I could not find it substantiated later, but suffice to say, you know, chased out of New Jersey due to anti-Semitism was enough of a <laughs> enough of a hook in this particular case. And um, if you search pictures, it, it Ohika Castle is just beautiful. It is gorgeous. And I was like, that's my story. But I was like, wait a second. I was like, I can't, like, I don't write historical. I tried once, it's great, but it's not a thing I can write. So 
I wanted to use Ohika Castle, which meant the story was about history. It had to be about history. So you tie, so the characters, which I think is, is where is where you, the question you asked me is the characters. Um, Cause I'm actually getting there, I think. <laughs> so you have an impossible relationship and you have history. Mm -hmm. And you have a big castle, which means one of the characters has to be tied to a Hika castle or my fictional version of it. And the other has to be tied to putting Jewish history back into the narrative, tied to telling the stories of Jews that people don't always think about. Yeah. And that is how, so, and then I went out from there. That's great. Uh, yeah. So would you say that Anna is a lot like you in personality or not like you? There are parts of Anna that are a lot like me, but like when she is passionate about something, she gets very, 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 very deep into it. She is a wonderful researcher and she had a blast doing it. And that's absolutely the part of her that's like me. But I'm, in terms of other things, I'm definitely more of a Sarah person than I am Anna. Um, I'm also elements of, of friend number three, which we'll have, we'll talk about later. But, <laughs> but yeah, the part of me is definitely like the researcher. Uh, and as part of this story, they're planning this kind of like fake ball sort of thing going on. And, uh, and they're, as well, part of the story, they're planning this ball to, to go uh, as part of the archive and, and as part of the hall. And I was wondering if that was kind of fun, especially in the pandemic to be planning these events and stuff like in the story. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, it was interesting because like when I started the series, like, the first book is based on Hanukkah festival, right? I did not, I have not ever been to a Hanukkah festival. I have not ever seen one, not to the degree that like history, that it exists in miracles. So I was already on the, this is an alternate universe situation. So like planning summer days, planning the opening of the of the historical wing, planning the ball, all of those things were just so much fun to do when I was, you know, writing this book from my Chester <laughs> County, you know, like it was, it was great to kind of dive into that story. And it was, it was so much fun, um, you know, letting myself just sort of transport into the world of Rockcliffe and the manor and like, um, you know, living in that world for a while. Yeah. Well, we sure enjoyed it. So where can people find it? Uh, when is it released? So the book, uh, History of Us, comes out on June 24th. Um, it is it, available in both Paper Mac and ebook. Love Sweet Arrow and The Robotus both will have copies. And Yay. I will be doing Yep. And I will be doing events in conjunction with both of them at some point during the summer. So keep an eye out. Awesome. Romance bookstores. 
support them. (laughs) They are, when people say, you know, support independent bookstores, like those are the first two that come to my brain. Like I spent, I guess about 10 years in an independent, being the romance person in an independent. So I know like how, how much work it is to make a section of that of an independent store romance friendly romance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you can go, I have a couple here where I live and they do tend to not have a section at all. Oh, and mm-hmm. if there are some titles, they're mixed in with everything and you have to do some digging. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard. It's hard. And God forbid like they don't have like the one you're looking for and if you go up god forbid like you go up to them and ask them for a special order like the look (laughs) on their faces like no sorry it's yeah no it's it's an it's not necessarily the most hospitable environment in in certain cases but places like love sweet arrow and the ricotas and there are definitely like some more bookstores that are getting um more excited about romance these days but I always want to focus on for me um the two that are solely romance focused yeah yeah that's great well and we'll also have an affiliate link uh, in the description if people want to check that out and helps the podcast a little bit uh and so you can find it that way and so Stacey thank you so much for coming on and doing this I really yeah. appreciate it and uh, where can people follow you on social media all that fun stuff so I, first of all, and most importantly, this was, this was a blast. I had so much fun. I am NYStacy on Twitter, S. Agdern on Instagram, Stacy A. Agdern on Facebook. Theagdern.com is my website. So follow And Brie, where can people find you? I am on Instagram at Falling for Romance. And I also am the co-host of the Categorically Romance podcast with my friend Sarah, where we talk about category romance. Ooh. Yeah, it's very fun. I'll, awesome. We'll have all that in the description. You can find me at uh, Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. You can also follow, I think, all of us on Goodreads. So check that out as well. And, uh, and also we'll be having our, we're doing our monthly romance reading recap (laughs) each month. That's good. That's a lot of fun. So make sure you check out those. We're on our uh, third episode coming up in May. So that should be fun. And, uh, and also make sure you're following the Hallmarkies podcast, all over social media, Hallmarkies pod, Hallmarkies podcast. And, uh, and if you're listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. We really appreciate that. And if you are listening on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up, subscribe to our channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have our patron group, which we had an incredible watch along uh, this last month with uh, with Michael Damien and joined by Lacey Chabert. That was <gasps> incredible. Uh, so <laughs> if you're not a patron, you're really missing out. It's only $2 a month and uh, you get experiences that I don't think any other Patreon provides really. It, it, and so check it out. We would really appreciate the support. And then we also have our merch store, which has tons of fun Hallmark inspired designs. So check that out as well. And thanks so much, ladies. This was great. This was really fun just to get to chat and talk about your books and congratulations, Stacey. That's yes. a great accomplishment. Congratulations. Oh. Can't, I can't wait to get a physical copy. <laughs> yeah that'll be fun (laughs) all right we'll we'll have to talk again soon and uh, thanks so much everybody Bye. bye bye